Good evening and welcome to the Lenten class for St. James of Less Episcopal Church. My name is Rock Higgins. I have our deacon Harrison Higgins and our guest star for the week, who is Neil Smith. She has decided to jump in and join us on the conversations. And so uh, we are glad to have you with us today. Um, we will be looking at uh, the gospel according to Mark, and we will be looking at uh, several different um, approaches to the gospel of Mark. Uh, and uh, we're just basically reading scripture and talking about it. Um, if you don't have a practice of Bible study in your life, it's not science. <laughs> it's not rocket science, especially. Um, but just reading God's word and wrestling with it. The question we're going to be asking ourselves today as we go through it is what jumps out or what sparkles for me? What draws my attention? And we'll trust that that's the Holy Spirit tapping you on the shoulder and saying, hey, you need to pay attention to this. And so uh, we're going to have fun with this today. It's going to be conversational. Uh, we will be doing chapters one, two, and three in the gospel according to Mark. Um, we are all going to be using um, a copy of the contemplative English Bible, contemporary English, excuse me, common English Bible, the common English Bible, study Bible, uh, gospel of Mark. Uh, we have several hundred of these at the church. Um, I hope that you've picked up one if you haven't. Um, we would love to have you get a copy. Just let the office know, and we'll either leave it for you at the door or find a way to get it to you. All right. I think that's it. Um, Harrison, Neil, do you guys have any questions? All right. Okay, well, we've divided uh, all three chapters into segments, and Harrison's going to do our first reading uh, from uh, Mark 1, starting with verse 1 to verse 15. And so we're going to listen for what jumps out at us. So Harrison, whenever you're ready. All right, the reading from Mark. The beginning of the good news about Jesus Christ, God's son, happened just <clears throat> as it was written about in the prophecy of Isaiah. Look, I am sending my messenger before you. He will prepare your way. The voice shouting in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. John the Baptist was in the wilderness calling for people to be baptized to show that they had changed their hearts and lives and wanted God to forgive their sins. Everyone in Judea and all of the people of Jerusalem went out to the Jordan River and were be being baptized by John as they confessed their sins. John wore clothes made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist. He ate locusts and wild honey. He announced, one stronger than I am is coming after me. I am not even worthy to bend over and loosen the strap of his sandals. I baptize you in water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. About that time, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and John baptized him in the river Jordan. While he was coming up out of the water, Jesus saw heaven splitting open and the spirit like a dove coming down on him. And there was a voice from heaven. You are my son, whom I dearly love. In you, I, have found I find happiness. At once the spirit forced Jesus into the wilderness. He was in the wilderness for 40 days, tempted of Satan. He was among the wild animals and the angels took care of him. After John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee 
announcing God's good news, saying, now is the time. Here comes God's kingdom. Change your hearts and lives and trust this good news. Wow. And so it begins. What jumped out for you guys? Well, for me first is that um, what you what is happening is that you're already um, connecting the Old Testament and a lot and um, Isaiah's prophecy uh, and pulling it in um, to Jesus's ministry and and presence and so um your your it it's the tradition that is is continuing and and the continuity um mm. which is is striking for me that bridge yeah. how about you fascinated by john the baptist um um he seems like a pivotal person history sort of pivots on his watch. Of course, mostly Jesus' watch, but he's he's kind of the transition between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Um, and what captures that is the phrase, now is the time. Um, It feels like right now we're living in a sort of a now is the time moment, mm. some kind of a pivot moment. Yeah. Yeah. The two things jumped out at me. Um, one from John's uh, preaching. I baptize you with water because that's what he was doing. He was doing this uh, uh, ritual, you know, as a recognition of sin and a, just a cleansing a ritualistic cleansing, um, but but he, meaning Jesus, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit, um, and that really strikes home. So little we've talked so little about the Holy Spirit, and here is John saying, "This is the one thing he's going to do <laughs> for you that no one else is doing, um, much better than what I'm doing." Um, and uh, if we uh, really embrace that and brought that out in our lives. That Holy Spirit at work in us, through us, yeah. And then, uh, for me, the other thing that always strikes me is um, verse fifteen here. What you closed with, Harrison, uh, like you said, now is the time. And then this next part: here comes God's kingdom. Change your hearts and lives, and trust this good news. That's Jesus's mission statement. You know, th this uh, realization. That the kingdom of God is no longer gonna be. It's now. <laughs> the time is now. Um, and uh, the, this long awaited thing, like Neil talked about, that we've been waiting for throughout all the Hebrew scriptures, is finally coming to fruition here in this one place and time. Uh, it's daunting. I'm intrigued by the image of baptized in the Holy Spirit. Um, I, as you were talking, Rock, um, 
you know, there's Pentecost when the Holy Spirit was poured out on the church, but it, and that's kind of the ultimate expression of it. But it seems like all of Jesus' ministry was wherever he went, his words were baptizing people in the spirit. His, mm. his touch, his presence was this, just this outpouring of spirit that kind of came through him. It must have been like that just to be in his presence. Um, I'd never really seen that before. Um, but well, even the naysayers, you know, when he goes to his hometown and they're like, who is he to speak with authority? You know, they, they knew this kid growing up. They, you know, watched him skin his knee. They watched, you know, his mom change his diaper. Um, and here he is speaking with authority, you know, and I think that's that baptism of the Holy Spirit that, um, yeah, like you were flowing out. Yeah. Didn't he read the spirit of the Lord is upon me to heal the brokenhearted, to set the captives free? Um that was the thing he got up in the synagogue and read that passage. And again, the spirit is upon me. Um, and if you get too close to me, it's going to get on you too. Right. By the speed of God. Yeah. And, and that's that whole mission statement. God's kingdom is that spirit with us. Emmanuel, you know, and that, that kingdom realization, it doesn't have to be the way it's always been. You know, in this translation, it says, change your hearts and lives. Um, the more traditional is repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. You know, turn around. <laughs> you know, you can do the 180 you've always wanted to do. Uh, yeah. One of the, the things, again, that struck me, and we're again talking about spirit, is that um, on uh, in verse 12, at, at once the Spirit forced Jesus out into the wilderness, and uh, he was in the wilderness for 40 days, tempted by Satan. Um, again, I think he, he was called to be, be quiet. I think that the wilderness is the place where you go to be still and hear God however we all do it in our own ways now. And, and, and he needed, but, but he needed that preparation before he was, he announced what his, his mission was going to be. His, and uh, I think that the two pieces of that, and I, and I have questions about that. Um, one is that um, he needed to be still. And and it was also wrestling with Satan, and already you're coming up with Satan and the presence of his of evil. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, I always question what that that is about. But obviously, he was whatever the dark side or whatever he needed to do. He had to prepare before he began before he began his ministry. Um, and I, I guess to me, it also bespeaks of all of us to have that, that still quiet place somewhere that we commune with, with God, with the spirit and what we, before the actions we take. Yeah. Well, uh, it's a rough paraphrase of, uh, I think Martin Luther 
you know, I've got so many things to do today that I need to be in prayer for three hours before I can even begin. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm curious what Jesus baptism meant to him. And if you look uh, in Mark, Jesus hears the voice from heaven. Yes. In the other in the other gospels, it's a it's a public event where they hear the echoing voice, or most people do, not everybody, depends on the uh, which uh, gospel you're reading. But here it says that Jesus hears the voice, and maybe that's that affirmation, that, that calling that we all need in our lives yeah. before we do that preparation. Yeah. One other thing, Neil, and then we'll have to move on just because we're wrestling with three chapters to, tonight. Um, the idea of uh, being um, prepared and before we uh, wrestle with evil, I mean, that comes up in so many places. Uh, we don't talk about St. Paul, but he spent three years in Arabia you know, preparing after his Damascus Road. We tell the Damascus Road story, but we forget that he goes off to Arabia and does that spiritual work to ground himself um, in that uh, preparing ourselves for all that. I think the reason why we're even doing this Lenten study is to prepare ourselves for Easter. You know, we set up our cycles and seasons so that we can do that for ourselves as well. Um, yeah. Good. Well, I'm going to force our hand and move us along. Uh, reading number two uh, starts at verse 16. Remember, what jumps out? What sparkles for you? Jesus passed along the Galilee Sea. He saw two brothers, Simon and Andrew, throwing fishing nets into the sea, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, he said, and I'll show you how to fish for people. Right away, they left their nets and followed him. After going a little farther, he saw James and John, Zebedee's sons, and their boat repairing the fishing nets. At that very moment, he called them. They followed him, leaving their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired workers. Jesus and his followers went into Capernaum. Immediately on the Sabbath, Jesus entered the synagogue and started teaching. The people were amazed by his teaching, for he was teaching them with authority, not like the legal experts. And suddenly there in the synagogue, a person with an evil spirit screamed, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. You are the Holy One from God. Silence, Jesus said, speaking harshly to the demon. Come out of him. The unclean spirit shook him and screamed. Then it came out. Everyone was shaken and questioned among themselves. What's this? a new teaching with authority. He even commands unclean spirits, then they obey him. Right away, the news about him spread throughout the entire region of Galilee. So what struck y'all in that? I'll, I will, I will um, say that I think the thing that that struck me and has really stayed with me is that um, 
that these these men um that Jesus shows up and he says come follow me and they drop everything these these four men uh, they drop everything and follow him uh, with absolute faith and 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 leave everything leave their work their family um to follow him and it strikes me that you can read about it happening then, but it certainly is the question that over the ages of all of us is what are we willing to drop and follow? And without question, uh, to me, it is the most striking thing um, and and the, the faith to do that. And what was it about them and what was it about Jesus that that, that happened? Mm-hmm. One of the hats I wear for the diocese is uh, doing the discernment retreat for those that feel called to do the priesthood or the diaconate. Um, and, you know, I've done it for a few years. And one of the things that I always uh, I'm just humbled by hearing these folks and how they respond to that call. You know, some people it takes decades. I had a guy in one of my retreats that says, I've been saying no for 50 years. And I'm finally ready to say yes. Um, and then I've had folks that are, you know, spring chickens, you know, fresh out of college are just so eager. You know, I've been saying they've been wanting this their entire lives and literally meaning it and uh, the whole gamut in between. Um, but yeah, that question of how we respond. And yeah, there's something unique about these guys. We never would have picked these 12 to be anything. <laughs> they don't have good resumes. But Jesus victim, I think mostly from that willingness of heart, you know, I think I agree with you on that. I like that Jesus picked ordinary people, not the, you know, not the religious powerhouses or the priests at the time. Um, And I've always wondered how to fish for people. Mm. Not even I'm not any good at fishing for fish either. Um, but fishing for people is something that really pulls at me. I I wish I knew how to do that. Um, well, I think you do it very well. Actually, I, I would say that ditto. Yes. Well, you know, I think there was something in Jesus and his authority that, you know, it talks about openly here um, that they wanted what he had. You know, it's um, one of the great joys I had in the past was to work for Anna Julia Cooper Episcopal School here in town. And it's a tuition free school for inner city kids. Um, and my boss at the time had to raise lots and lots of money to make the school happen. And the school started, you know, right after the financial collapse of 2008. And, uh, you know, just how on earth can you raise a million dollars in that type of a, um, atmosphere? Um, and he always said, 
do what you are doing and the money will come. You know, just know that if you're doing what you're supposed to be doing, um, money's the least of our worries. You know, being the best and most loving school we can be is what's going to attract people that want to get in on this mission. And I think that that authenticity of Jesus and who he was made them want what he had. You know, and when they got rid of that personal invitation, um, they couldn't say no. Harrison, when you were saying that what you really liked were the the people that he chose, uh, the disciples, that they were of the people, they were not the not the the big wigs of of the time. And it would seem to me, and I always like history and and background, but I actually was talking to someone last night who said that at Jesus in Jesus's time. Uh, that eighty percent of the population was in in poverty, and that it under and under Roman rule, and were were really very persecuted and very poor, and and that uh, he 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 came to be with the people, um, and and um, and obviously from very beginning they found in him someone to trust. And um, and I think that's just, it's amazing. Um, Amen. All right. Neil, you want to jump in with the third section? Um, sure. Um, after leaving the synagogue, Jesus, James, and John went home with Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed, sick with a fever, and they told Jesus about her at once. He went to her, he took her by the hand and raised her up. The fever left her, and she served them. That evening at sunset, people brought to Jesus those who were sick or demon-possessed. The whole town gathered near the door. He healed many who were sick with all kinds of diseases, and he threw out many demons. But he didn't let the demons speak because they recognized him. Mm-hmm. Early in the morning, well before sunrise, Jesus rose and went to a deserted place where he could be alone in prayer. Simon and those, who, Simon and those with him tracked him down. When they found him, they told him, everyone's looking for you. He replied, let's head in the other direction to the nearby villages so that I can preach there too. That's why I've come. He traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and throwing out demons. A man with a skin disease approached Jesus, fell to his knees and begged, if you want, you can make me clean. Incensed. Jesus reached out his hand, touched him, and said, I do want to. Be clean. Instantly, instantly, the skin disease left him, and he was clean. Sternly, Jesus sent him away, saying, Don't say anything to anyone. 
Instead, go and show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifice for your cleansing that Moses commanded. This will be a testimony to them. Instead, he went out and started talking freely and spreading the news so that Jesus wasn't able to enter a town openly. He remained outside in deserted places, but people came to him from everywhere. Um, I, I wanted to say that in that reading, that when he, uh, it reads, in sense, Jesus reached, um, incensed has been in, uh, translated as also filled with compassion rather than being angry. Gives it a very different meaning. So a compromise between the two could be overwhelmed. So what jumped out? I liked just this. I like this phase of Jesus' ministry. It's it's before the trouble began, mm -hmm. or you know things got tense. Um, it's so hopeful, um, and I'm just trying to imagine to have lived in that time where medical cures virtually didn't exist. If you got sick with something, you just were stuck with it, most likely. Um, if you had mental illness, you know, they're just, you, you were an outcast. And here was somebody that could fix your life. It just must have been the most amazing, happy, exciting time. Um, I just picture, you know, revival happening wherever Jesus went and this amazing hopefulness. Um, um, and I love that. Mm -hmm. I'm also curious that Simon Peter had a wife. Yeah. <laughs> she doesn't come into the story much. <laughs> And especially for those who knew him as the first pope. Um, yeah. Oh, did I just cross a line? <laughs> Only for Catholic, but uh, no, it's, you know, it, it is what it is. Um, yeah, you have to have a wife to have a mother-in-law, so, yeah. Well, my understanding in a, in a serious way is that in Jewish tradition, it would have been very unusual for any of these men not to have had, uh, to have been married or have relationships that by 30 or 33 um, Jewish men were married and, and with families. Um, Good point. Yeah, uh, Harrison, going back to what you were saying about the or just this organic growth, um, you know, and Jesus is, uh, I think, worried about the institutionalization that's to come, the more formalization, the more organized things are going to have to be. But it's just, uh, even when he tells the guy, you know, don't tell anybody about this, <laughs> you know, it comes out, you know, he, he's so excited, he's so exuberant. 
um, he can't help but tell everybody uh, about what happened. Yeah. You know, we're looking at only four followers that are named at this point. So we don't have the 12 disciples that's to come in tonight's readings. But uh, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll get to that. The, I'm also intrigued by the detail where the man that he healed of the skin disease, he said, go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifice Moses commanded. And it, it felt like sort of a, a reaching out to the Jewish authorities. Um, I'm not against you. I'm not trying to sort of start something new here. Um, I want, I came to fulfill Judaism, not to, not to replace it. Um, to sort of point out the real meaning of Jewish scriptures, um, not to replace them with new scriptures. Um, it was an olive branch that he extended that they never really took, it seems to me. And also that would bring the full, you know, I see healing as wholeness. And for him to have his wholeness, he personally was dealing with this skin disease, which ostracized him from community. For him to be whole, he had to be reintroduced back into community. Oh, yeah. That required the rabbinic um, uh, fulfillment of the Mosaic law, um, especially with the skin disease. If you read that, if you can keep your eyes open reading that in the Old Testament, um, those are some dry laws, but they're, uh, they took them very seriously, um, especially with stuff that was communicable. They had no other choice. Yeah. Think of all that we're doing now, you know, with COVID, with our mask and, and all of this. We haven't come very far. What, what, what puzzled me about that passage was that, that Jesus bade him to, to go and be cleansed. And, and that he disregarded that. Um, and I, 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 I don't know quite what to make of that, that passage. Um, yeah. You would think if somebody healed you of an incurable disease and then said, do something, you would do it. <laughs> Well, yes, but but also fulfilling the fulfilling the law. It 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 was yeah. yes, gratitude rather than it was like, hey, bud, thanks, and off I go. Mm -hmm. um, Interesting. I've always read it that he the thing he did not do was not telling anyone. Yeah, but it's 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 you're right. It's not clear um, that he told everybody and didn't do that second part. Yeah. Actually, on, on both counts, he didn't do what Jesus had asked him to do. Um, I was giving him the benefit of the doubt on the second one. But you're right, it doesn't say that he did it. So we don't know. The, the thing about the, the healings, and, and again, um, Harrison, what you were saying, it seems to me, again, in, that, in the context of that time, uh, also the, the poor... They were not seen. Um, they were uh, they were like 
you know, scattered dogs or whatever else, that their lives really didn't have that much meaning to anybody in authority, I think. And that he would not only see, be, they, he saw them on, on, on levels and, and he did something about it. It wasn't just seeing and walking by, but it's like, oh, hey, you need, you need this. Um, and we can certainly, it seems to me, relate to, to this today of who we walk by when we might be able to do something and keep on going. I think it's the image, it says, that evening at sunset, people brought to Jesus those who were sick and demon-possessed. I just picture this little village, you know, and this hope sort of comes into their lives. And it's just, he's thronged. He, they can't keep themselves away. Um, just what a moment. Wouldn't you have loved to have been there? Absolutely. <laughs> wow. Well, this is what I was hoping for. These are great conversations. I hate to be the um, person uh, pushing us, but uh, uh, let's jump into chapter two. All right. We've got to do a more formal break here. So uh, this concludes chapter one. Um, and uh, we will come back uh, with chapter two now. Uh, Mark chapter two. After a few days, Jesus went back to Capernaum. And people heard that he was at home. So many gathered, so many gathered that there was no longer space, not even near the door. Jesus was speaking the word to them. Some people arrived. Four of them were bringing to him a man who was paralyzed. They couldn't carry him through the crowd, so they tore apart the roof above where Jesus was. And when they had made an opening, they lowered the mat on which the paralyzed man was lying. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Child, your sins are forgiven. Some legal experts were sitting there muttering among themselves, why does this man speak this way? He's insulting God. Only one God can, only one God can forgive sins. Jesus immediately recognized what they were discussing and he said to them, why do you fill your minds with these questions? Which is easier, to say to a paralyzed person, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your bed and walk? but so that you will know that the human one has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, get up, take your mat and go home. Jesus raised him up and right away he picked up his mat and walked out in front of everyone. They were all amazed and praised God saying, we've never seen anything like this. I got a little lost in that reading with the phrasing. Um, I hope everybody understood. Well, that's one reason why we're reading from a different translation. So we're all on fresh ground. <laughs> yeah. I'm just trying to picture rock. If somebody tore a hole in the ceiling, <laughs> you were doing a service. What would happen in church? 
Yeah. <laughs> and lower somebody down. Not sure I was would handle it as politely as he did. Um, I do want to make one note before we jump in. Um, in this translation, they do use the term human one, which is normally translated as son of man. And the way to think about that more, um, this, like we would say, you know, he's a son of a gun or he's the spitting image of his dad or um, that Jesus is seen as the quintessential human, um, the epitome of what, what a human should be. And this translation tries to draw our attention to that by saying the human one. So um, instead of that phrase, son of man. Um, so just so uh, other folks know where we're coming from. Now, this has always been a favorite story of mine because Jesus, you know, sets up the uh, religious leaders there, which is bigger, him walking or sins. So I'll do the easy one. So you guys know I can do the bigger one too. go walk. Um, and uh, yeah. Keep talking, Rock. That's I, I'll like that train of thought. Yeah, you know, it's just like because they were questioning. You know, I could say, you know, I just made a cloud disappear. Poof, and you would say, well, number one, why? You know, you're making that out of your head. You know, you don't, you have no authority to do that, or you don't have the power to do that. And I said, well, okay, uh, well, if you can't, don't believe I can make that cloud disappear. Here, I'll make a cloud appear behind me, and I. And one does, you might believe more that I could say that what I said happened could actually happen. You know, and the, repeatedly we keep in Mark, even so far in, the, in chapter one and here at the beginning of chapter two, this idea of Jesus is coming with a, an authority and a presence that is beyond comprehension. And they, this is where they first start to wrestle with that um, authority that he's bringing he can't be all that and so he sets this up he was brought to me for to walk again what this boy really needs is to be forgiven that's what's you know holding him back from being who he should be it's not the physical that um is our limitations but the spiritual um but so that you know i have authority over all of this Take up your mat and walk and, you know, be forgiven, too, <laughs> as you see your way out the door. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, you know, and especially there's a couple things that uh, as we read, Mark, you want to pay attention to. Um, uh, Mark is I always like to think of it as the comic book gospel because everything's action packed. Um, and immediately they did this and immediately they did that. Um, in Mark, everything happens immediately. Um, it's kind of like Edgar Allan Poe. Everything in Edgar Allan Poe is at midnight, <laughs> you know, and in Mark, everything happens immediately. Um, but then the other part that we've already bumped into is that messianic secret. Jesus keeps telling people, don't let this out. You no, know, don't, don't put, let the cat out of the bag too soon. You know, I, I'm not ready for this it is, you know. Um, but then the third part of this is this authority, this presence that he brings. Um, we're, we're driven to ask the question, who is this? You know, who is this? And this is really going to come out even to the very end. Um, and I don't want to steal our thunder from our fifth uh, 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 time on this. But even to the very end of the, the original ending of Mark, the question that it demands of us is, 
who is this Jesus? And we keep having people come in and getting confronted with this idea. Um, Was Jesus introducing a new thing when he said, um, I have authority to forgive sins? Because for the Jewish priests, Jesus was just this ordinary guy. He he had no priestly ministry. He wasn't ordained. He he was just this guy. Um, I can see how that would have been a tough one for them to accept. Um, um, and um, and sort of a pivot point between Old Testament thought and New Testament thought um, could really be about forgiveness. Um, how, how do humans receive forgiveness from God? Um, and it brings to mind um, when Jesus gave to the, the keys of the kingdom to Peter and through Peter, I guess, to the whole church, um, whoever sins you retain, they're retained. Whoever sins you forgive, they're forgiven. It seems like that that authority he has passed on to the church. Those are huge questions. And you have to remember how atonement, and that's the word we're talking about, um, was perceived before, during this time. So in the temple on the Day of Atonement, once a year, the high priest could go into the Holy of Holies. So you had the temple, and then, you know, you had the holy place. And inside that box was another box where it was the Holy of Holies, where they believed God sat on the ark, you know, when the ark was there. And um, the, the, the God's presence was in that place. And only one person, one day a year, could go into that holy place to ask for God's forgiveness of the people. Um, and he would, before he would go in, um, he would put his hands on the head of a goat and they would send it off into the wilderness to drive the sins away from the people. And hence the term scapegoat. <laughs> we still have these words. We forget the story that they're wrapped up in. And he would go into the Holy of Holies and he would pray for um, the people. And because he was in the presence of God Almighty, um, they would put bells on his robe so they could hear him jingling as he moved around in prayer, asking for God's forgiveness of the people. Um, if, the, if they stopped hearing the jingling, he had died in the presence of God, and he had a rope tied around his ankle so they could drag him out because they weren't allowed to go in to the very presence of God. This is how important this idea was for the folks that you're talking about. I mean, it was huge. Um, and for Jesus to say, your sins are forgiven. You know, not nonchalantly, far from it, but um, much less right and ritual than bells and goats and ropes and, and temples. You know, he he took the, he made a living room into the holy of holies. Um, if you think of it that way, a, a living room with a hole in the roof. You know, I think there's a reason why we talk about bread and wine as becoming sacramental. You know, it's the same idea. The ordinary has become extraordinary you know, and sacred. Neil, yeah, we're talking way too much over here. <laughs> oh, no, I'm, this time I'm just listening. Um, 
this was a, just a background thing. Um, I was I was wondering when you are talking about um, are talking about this and and Jesus's uh, power to forgive, and I was thinking, and I don't know a lot of Jewish history back, but I know that Jews had been for at least three or four hundred years been under the rule of the Persians, the Greeks, and then and, and then the Romans. But that also, and I'm not real clear on what all happened, but during that time, there had been in those two or three hundred years, great controversies uh, within the, the priests, uh, uh, a controversy of, of scripture and and prophecies and some people saying no we were not going to have prophecies anymore and some people saying yes and so that there was a that's that's um so that there was some uh, a real questioning and tumult around that and so the question about did they have power to forgive i'm wondering if all of that also fed into that i think am i right that there was a lot of uh, oh yeah yeah so it was not a, a quiet kind of thing that everybody that the scripture and everything was was pretty set and nobody was questioning it. It was all over the place. It sounded like to me very much so. Um, and we we slapped some names on some of these groups. So we have the Pharisees, who were a lot like Jesus, who believed in an afterlife, but also very, believed in very rigid rigid legalism, you know. And then you have the Sadducees that don't have an afterlife. You know, you might be remembered in the thoughts and. Uh, of your children and the other generations that remember your name. You have the Essenes who were, you know, this ascetic um, cult almost out in the desert who were trying to be pure. You know, the, the Pharisees look like uh, Nancy Pantensy, um, you know, they aren't doing anywhere close to what they should do. You have this, you have this whole gamut um, present during this time. Um, the Essenes were the folks that did the, had the Dead Sea Scrolls. That we found recently, you know, and the only reason we found them is because they hid them in caves way up on the top of mountains that nobody ever goes up over the Dead Sea because um, they were that type of isolated community. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, the, the, but like you said, the whole gamut of how to interpret this. Some people, you know, were uh, culturally Jewish, but you know, you know, we might call them secular these days. Because they had no, they didn't even try to keep the laws. Yeah. And that, those are the people that resonated with Jesus' message most. And what got Jesus into a lot of trouble is that he welcomed in the, the outcasts in the center and broke bread with them. And, yeah. They might have been some of Jesus' disciples. Yeah. About Matthew, the tax collector. And I don't want to steal our thunder because that's the next little section. Oh. So, but yeah, um, any, the, the, once again, we're having so much fun with these conversations. I'm, I'm going to push us and then move to the next one. Uh, our fifth reading is from uh, 2 verse 13. Jesus went outside beside the lake again, and the whole crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. As he continued along, he saw Levi, Alphaeus's son, sitting at a kiosk for collecting taxes. And Jesus said to him, follow me. Levi got up and followed him. Jesus sat down to eat at Levi's house. Many tax collectors and sinners were eating with Jesus and his disciples. 
Indeed, many of them had become his followers. So there you go, Harrison. And when some of the legal experts were among the Pharisees, saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, God forbid, they asked his disciples, why is he eating with sinners and tax collectors? When Jesus heard it, he said to them, healthy people don't need a doctor, but sick people do. I didn't come to call righteous people, but sinners. When John's disciples and the Pharisees had a habit of fasting, some people asked Jesus, why don't John's disciples and the Pharisees' disciples fast, but yours don't? And Jesus said, the wedding guests can't fast while the groom is with them, can they? As long as they have the groom with them, they can't fast. But the days will come when the groom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast. No one sews a piece of new, unshrunk cloth on old clothes. Otherwise, the patch tears away from it. The new from the old, and makes a worse tear. No one pours new wine into old leather wineskins. Otherwise, the wine would burst the skins, and the wine would be lost, and the wineskins destroyed. But new wine is for new wineskins. I love how the author positioned these stories next to each other. You know, first Jesus gets in trouble for eating with people, <laughs> and then he gets in trouble for not fasting. <laughs> you know, uh, you can't you can't make anybody happy. You know, yeah. So what jumped out from that? For me, it was this last paragraph. You don't put new wine in old wineskins. You don't put sew a new piece of cloth on an old garment. What's Jesus talking about there? Well, you know, I think uh, it goes back to um, what I called the mission statement early on, the repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. You know, change your ways. You, you have permission. Um, and just, you know, the, the idea behind it is, um, if you put old wine into new wine or new wine into old wineskins, when you put the the grape juice with the yeast in it into the leather, the leather has to have some stretch to it because the gas is going to build up, and that's what ferments the wine. And if there's no stretch left, then no, nothing new can happen. It's going to burst the skins. And I think in the same way, if we come into our faith in God, telling God the way things are going to be, we don't have any stretch left. And I know a lot of people, you know, what's that old phrase? You know, you know, when uh, God hates the same people you do, um, that you're not worshiping God, <laughs> you know, or it's the paraphrase of that. Um, but that. Um, so often we come to our faith thinking we know how it should be. Our outcome is already determined in our heads. Even in the, as we were preparing to have these conversations, one of the things we talked about is I have no outcome in this conversation other than I want to have a good conversation. If I came in here and said, all right, Neil, here are the words that are going to come out of your mouth. And Harrison, here's the words coming out of your mouth. You know, there's no stretch left in the wineskin. Um, the good conversation comes from uh, that unexpected, that newness, that freshness. Um, and, you know, that's that's the way I see it. But, um, we, we need to come with that beginner's mind uh, and be open to wherever God would take us. 
Um, that's that, uh, and that's that uh, Holy Spirit that we're talking about. That being baptized in the Spirit, um, and we, even when we see it in how Jesus, when Jesus was preaching in that room, and they lowered the guy through the roof, I don't think he expected a guy to be lowered through the roof that day. But when it happened, he followed that prompting of the Spirit. You know, and we were still talking about it two thousand years later. It seems to me Jesus is speaking about um, sort of the calcified nature of Jewish religious life at the time. It had become very strict and inflexible, um, um, rule-oriented. Um, and I don't know, that's my reference. Um, but as we speak, I also think it's kind of a cautionary tale to us in the church business not to make the same mistake. You know, to be if, to be ready for whatever the equivalent of somebody being lowered down through the roof in the middle of one of our services is to be that's that's why I'm not a priest, Rock, and I'm glad that's going to be your call to make. <laughs> is this the spirit, or is this somebody that just needs to be thrown out and call the police? I don't know. Yeah. You would answer that, but um, but that's not in the prayer book. What do we do? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But it's it's interesting because I I read that and 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 really sort of struggled with it a bit, and I'm I I really read it as. Um, that Jesus was saying, basically preparing that he is bringing a new message and a new way of looking at things, and that you you simply um, you need to be, expect this. This is this is the way it's going to be going forward, um, which is answers I think to what you're saying, um, Harrison. Um, yeah. That, he, this was another way of preparing preparing the way this is going forward this is what this is going to be about uh, a different a different way of being and a different way of looking rock we're going to need a lot more than an hour and a half for these discussions i'm just letting you know <laughs> well we're 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 on track we're we're doing great we're right on track <laughs> this is fun it is fun and you know the other part is so refreshing is so often we take these stories out of context, reading the whole story, um, you really do see how the, you know, the calling of the four, the going to Peter's house, you know, um, this this expansion of, uh, of what's going on. Yeah. And the early problem, you know, he's, he's butting heads with the religious authorities. But like you said, I've become calcified, um, you know. Yeah. Change, change is coming and nobody likes it. No, no. Um, well, we talked about the, the, the fasting. Anything about, about eating with the sinners? I, the, the only thing in there that, well, that really struck me was that I think I've always, I've always questioned did Jesus know some of these people before he started his ministry? I mean, this is a small area, so it's not like you might not have ever run into somebody before. Um, but 
in I again, as I understand in Jewish tradition, that when he um, he told uh, Levi, Levi Matthew to come and follow him, but Levi invited him in and and his and and Jesus's followers in for a meal. And in Jewish tradition, that is a huge thing, both for Levi to invite him in and for Jesus to come. Obviously, it's a it's a, a sign of great uh, respect and and intimacy to do that. Um, and um, and it reminds me, and I probably will step on somebody's toes of of, of uh, Southern manners of. Well, we and this is the Pharisees of well, we we just don't do it that way. So, uh, <laughs> um, so that was sort of my take on that. On that, mm-hmm. I eat with sinners all the time, so it really just sailed over my head. I didn't really pick up on any of that. Um, and that that understanding of hospitality, Neil, even Southern hospitality doesn't do it justice. Um, I've worked with uh, some folks in a Palestinian refugee camp in Bethlehem, and um, it was in the middle of the Intifada, or actually just after the first Intifada. And um, after we had worked on this guy, the Israeli troops had shot up his leg with a machine gun so he could never walk properly again, and so he couldn't work. Um, And so... Um, his family had been living in the United Nations um, refugee camp for 50 years. So it's not a camp anymore. Everybody had built cinder block houses. And so they uh, added a um, basically a, uh, something a little two thirds the size of my office here, um, addition to their home built out of cinder blocks. They had a garage door that they could put a padlock on. And that was going to be his shop. And so we spent the week. Um, uh, uh, doing the walls and painting and setting up shelves so that he could have his own shop and he could sit on the stool and, you know, have a livelihood. And that night we uh, were uh, invited over to the grandfather's house for dinner and we were humbled and, um, you know, they did their best that they could do. And they had brought in a tray this big filled with rice and it was a mountain of rice and then cooked, um, and then on the rice were chicken legs, you know, which was the best meat that they could get. And it was covered with chicken legs. And it was just, you know, and they were so poor and they had spent all their money preparing this feast. And then um, the grandfather, to show his appreciation, um, took a chicken leg and started with my professor that was with me. This was, a, I did this trip during seminary. And he held the chicken leg in his hand and he would, he was, and with tears streaming down his face, he fed my professor and said, from my hand, from my heart, and then turned the chicken leg until the professor ate the entire chicken leg and then went around the room to each of us sitting on their nice dining, or, excuse me, nice living room furniture. <laughs> and the grandfather who wept openly feeding us this chicken leg. Um, we don't understand hospitality. Um, you know, and needless to say, we all left a sizable donation to help fund his shop, but it was just the most humbling thing I've ever seen. That's the type of gratitude Levi has here. 
you know, to be invited in, uh, to be able to be allowed to invite them in was transformative. Yeah. Rock, I have known you for over 20 years and I have never heard that story. You've got to stop keeping these things secret and preach that story sometime. Uh, it's hard for me to, it was truly one of the most gut-wrenching. I, I, I've never felt so unworthy in my life. Um, I will, it will, to my dying day. Now, now, the other part of it was the American in me, the grandfather hadn't washed his hands all day. I'd been working next to him. <laughs> his hands were filthy. You know, I'm sitting here saying, I'm really getting grossed out. You know, that's the American little voice in my head. You know, it's like, this is really gross. But at the same time, there's no way in the world I could say no. Because he truly was giving his entire self as a gift to me in that moment. Um, yeah. But, uh, no. Well, that's a beautiful story. Sorry, I didn't know we were going to get into that today, but yeah. Let's, uh, let's finish up chapter two, and, uh, and uh, we're doing great. Jesus went through the wheat fields on the Sabbath. As the disciples made their way, they were picking the heads of wheat. The Pharisees said to Jesus, look, why are they breaking the Sabbath law? He said to them, haven't you, ever heard, haven't you ever read what David did when he was in need, when he and those with him were hungry, during the time when Abiathar, I don't know how to pronounce that, was high priest, David went into God's house and ate the bread of the presence, which only the priests were allowed to eat. He also gave bread to those who were with him. Then he said, the Sabbath was created for humans. Humans weren't created for the Sabbath. This is why the human one is Lord even over the Sabbath. Amen. What jumps out of me there is this is when Jesus claims that authority for himself. You know, before people were questioning his authority and he's proved to them that he had it. But here he's equating himself, number one, with David. And number two, that the um, the idea of being Lord of the Sabbath. Um, uh, uh, my grandmother would say he's getting pretty big for his britches, <laughs> you know, and but, um, you know, it's uh, like uh, um, Carl Jung said of uh, God and um, no, sorry. I'm, there's a Carl Jung quote and a C.S. Lewis quote. I'm thinking of the C.S. Lewis quote. Either was G Jesus was um, uh, uh, liar, lunatic, or Lord. That you know, only Jesus could say what Jesus says about Jesus. And he was either a liar and knew he was a fraud, or he was crazy and delusional, or he actually was what he said he was. You know, and this is where uh, his lordship comes out. You know. I pick up on that how we as humans have a tendency to um, make our ideas about God, God. Mm -hmm. um, our, we, we package God in certain beliefs and make those 
sort of the final word, but God transcends those ideas always. Um, they may be true ideas, but they're not God. So um, Jesus is sort of breaking apart that system. Um, it's kind of like um, the new wine is bursting the old wine skin. Um, the Jewish faith, as it was practiced then, could not contain the reality of God's presence. Um, 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 the Sabbath is a good and holy and right thing to do, but it is not God. Um, and just that simple phrase um, the Sabbath was made for, for humans not humans for the Sabbath you know um, One of my favorite authors has a book title called Adventures in Missing the Point. <laughs> and I think that this is a, um, a good example of that is where, you know, we get so fixed on it on thou shalt not, that we forget that with thou shalt. And, you know, we're supposed to give our that day a rest and recuperation, um, which is one of the greatest acts of faith that has ever been given. You don't have to work seven days a week. I'll take care of you, mm -hmm. you know, and that's um, even declaring a Sabbath and taking it is a statement of faith. Um, yeah. I'm pointing my finger at myself on that. My, my Sabbath day often gets absorbed <laughs> into uh, a lot of other things. I need to do that better. Neil, did you have anything on this last passage? I think I'm okay. Yes. All right. All right, let's do chapter three. Harrison, you want to take our first reading? Yes. Jesus returned to the synagogue. A man with a withered hand was there wanting to bring charges, wanting to bring charges against Jesus. They were watching Jesus closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. He said to the man with the withered hand, step up where people can see you. Then he said to them, is it legal on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they said nothing. Jesus, looking around at them with anger, deeply grieved at their unyielding hearts, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And so he did, and his hand was made healthy. At that, the Pharisees got together with supporters of Herod to plan how to destroy Jesus. Jesus left with his disciples and went to the lake. A large crowd followed him because they had heard what he was doing. They were from Galilee, Judea, Jerusalem, Idumea, beyond the Jordan, in the area surrounding Tyre and Sidon. Jesus told his disciples to get into a small boat, 
to get a small boat ready for him so that the crowd wouldn't crush him. He had healed so many people that everyone who was sick pushed around, pushed forward so that they could touch him. Whenever the evil spirits saw him, they fell down at his feet shouting, you are God's son. But he strictly ordered them not to reveal who he was. Mm. Once again, that dichotomy of the religious rigid, <laughs> those old wineskins <laughs> versus, you know, he goes out, he gets out of the traditional religion. He get, leaves the synagogue, goes to a field and people can't stay away. And the people who are in the religious institution are the first to condemn. <laughs> you know, they're looking for a way to hunt him down. Yeah. Well, and that that's what strikes me is how 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 rigid um, that that you're following the law by the letter of the law, and that there is. Um, and and you really don't even see or care about what's in front of you. Um, it's uh, I it, it's instructive in present day life as always as well. But this is also beginning when they feel I I think in in this story is that there's now enough enough. Uh, the scribes and the and the and the Pharisees have decided that they've got enough now to go do something about this upstart person. One of the things that I find helpful in reading a passage um, in the Gospels is um, is that all of the peripheral people that Jesus interacts with. Um, are representative and 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 I can and I can be any one of those people. Um, um, so in this situation, um, you know, I can be the person that comes to Jesus because I need healing. But there are times in my life when I can be the person that is critical and blind to the truth of what's happening. Like I'm trying to picture the the Pharisees have this religious belief, um, and here is somebody that challenges that belief and does a miracle, a healing right in front of them, and they've got a choice: Do I believe that this guy is speaking from God, and I need to change my beliefs about God? because he did a miracle mm -hmm. or do I hold on to my beliefs and simply deny that this miracle happened or that it was God doing. Right. Um, and they held on to their beliefs. Um, they were threatened. Their sort of equilibrium was, their worldview was threatened by this new reality that they were seeing in front of their eyes. And they clung to the old. Um, and I think that's something that we do. Mm -hmm. um, I think um, in some ways we can see that playing out in our politics. Um, people are, you know, have a, have an ideology that um, is 
stronger than reality. And I just, maybe we don't want to go down that road, but um, but that's what jumps out at me at this story. Um, it's a, it's a, it reveals something pretty deep about human nature. Mm-hmm. Basically being challenged on whatever your belief system is or whatever creed or whatever law you follow as soon as someone challenges it. The, maybe instinctively for most of us is to defend it and to really set our feet in rather than saying, whoa, maybe I need to listen to this. What's this point of view? Um, but absolutely, basically turning to stone um, and, not, and, not, and not listening. I think um, I think of it as I connect it to idolatry. Um, we can make religious institutions idols. Um, they may begin as sort of a real revelation of God, but we make the institution we build around it essentially God, and we we. We can see that in this story. The the Pharisees were holding their belief structures and practices ahead of God. Um, so when God really showed up, they they stuck with the structure, the idol, instead of recognizing God Himself. Um, and I think we need to. We all maybe do that in some way or another, um, in small ways, hopefully, and not as sort of hardened as the Pharisees were. But um, that's all. Yeah. The image that just came to mind, Harrison, um, and I'll say the most moving moment that in the time I've spent it, St. James the last is when the Archbishop came. Hmm. Um, and remember, we were trying to serve the Eucharist <laughs> and the, the snaking of the people back and forth in the line to be blessed by the Archbishop blocked the Eucharist that was going on. Um, and I remember standing behind the altar with you, smiling. I was teared up. It was the most beautiful thing where what was happening in the moment superseded what was supposed to be happening in the moment, you know, people coming through to be, to receive the Eucharist um, and Archbishop Daniel, you know, looking each person in the eye and taking the time with them that people just couldn't get through, you know, and, and uh, to, to be blessed. Now he was the religious institution. He's an archbishop for crying out loud of the 11 in the world. And, you know, but in that moment, that was the Holy Spirit breaking through. And if you remember at the lunch that day, he said, you know, the Holy Spirit is in your church. Mm-hmm. Um, and boy, that was, uh, um, 
I wish it could be like that every Sunday. But uh, I don't think we could live with ourselves. <laughs> I was so uh, buoyant for days after that, yeah. But this theme of authority and the baptism of the spirit and uh, just keeps coming out. Yeah. Ah, starting with verse 13. Jesus went up on a mountain and called those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed 12 and called them apostles. He appointed them to be with him, to be sent out to preach, and to have authority to throw out demons. He appointed 12, Peter, a name he gave Simon. James and John, Zebedee's sons, who he nicknamed Boanjeries, which means sons of thunder. And Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, Alphaeus' son. And that's who we often point to as James the Less. Thaddeus, Simon the Canaanian, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed Jesus. Jesus entered a house and a crowd gathered again so that it was impossible for him to, and his followers even to eat. When his family heard what was happening, they came to take control of him. They were saying he's out of his mind. What? I've never seen that verse before. Yeah, we don't talk about that one a lot. Um, often it's described as the usual translation is he is beside himself. Okay. Um, but you have this juxtaposition there. Once again, um, Mark is very structured um, this way. You have these people who are being sent out and chosen, and he's selecting his family. And then you have the rejection of his family immediately following that. Um, there's a reason I pulled those two verses up at, uh, with that passage so that we could see that juxtaposition so clearly. Um, and, you know, then uh, other translations are not other translations and other gospels. Um, you know, Jesus has that question. Who is my family? Those who follow um, God are my family. You know, that he, he he's even more explicit in how he describes it. Um, but even his, his mother's and his brother's and sister's expectations of him were that he was not going to be this way. Um, that even they had preconceived notions of what he should do and how he should do it. I think of uh, the passage from John in the wedding at Cana. You know, son, just, you know, help him with the wine. Mom, it's not my time yet. Come on, son. She ignores him and says, yeah, just do what he says. <laughs> and being a good Jewish boy, like, like a good Southern boy, does what mama tells him to do. And, you know, yeah. Can I jump back to the yeah, yeah. of Jesus standing in the boat, speaking to the people on land? Um, I've never really seen this before. Um, but I think of... Um, the the scene of 
the beginning of creation where the spirit of God brooded over the face of the waters and God spoke and called forth creation. All right, it's Rock. sort of reminiscent. It resonates with that blasphemy that against the Holy Spirit. Jesus' presence. He's oh, in the spirit brooding the hours over, I spent on this. over <laughs> Earlier Israel. In my life. Um, I am not touching Jesus this Jesus is calling forth the kingdom <laughs> of God. Harrison. It's Well, in light of what we've like, already read um, today. Um, it just feels like there's a new you know, creation we, happening. I'm going to use your words it's here. Sort of an, as we focus on that baptism by the Holy Spirit. feels very similar um, and connected. Um, you know, repeatedly we um, see And you that, can see it um, with having two calling either to his disciples and make people rigid this work to, to not them, open to that. You know, um, or the people for it's, whom it's, it's, it's not fresh just and new, my work who are Jesus saying anymore, but when you've got these folks we're doing this, who are coming in a, from Jerusalem a group that is now this spreading down. this kingdom. This is out going, of control. And being commissioned to build it. And whose control? Mm-hmm. Their control. A new creation you know, on and, the earth. And that um, rigidity um, of who, uh, well, letting God be order God out of chaos. And us following God is looking at a, a you know, people who were. Here, he's looking um, at a circle, see themselves um, as wandering him it sounds yeah, horrible, wild um, desert people, especially in water uh, is always Jewish chaos. context. You can't denounce his mother and, so, and his brothers and sisters being saying the people who do God's will, especially are my mother. You know, Matthew does it on a mountain, Luke does it on a on a boat, like here in Mark. These people who are open that, to the um, spirit, that proclamation, um, that charisma, are the people um, who are my family sent out and the family order out of the chaos. Yeah. I mean, um, we forget you know, how radical seven days, which is a number and of this really, and he's so Here, counter, 12 disciples, cultural at this point, completion. rejecting um, both the religious um, authority all we need is and the societal, got, familial authority. <laughs> we got them all, um, 7, 12, and 40, and how he approaches this. And um, I've never really thought of it this way until well, as Jesus we're reading it did today, the 40 in the wilderness. That, um, yeah, because he got here. Um, insults. The but Holy notice Spirit. that he was sent and out think, into the desert, you know, just like saying that. that it's not the Holy Spirit at work. Um, children of Israel, you know, you're um, rejecting. Your rigidity mm-hmm. is what damns you. That was their proving mm-hmm. time as well. Yeah. Okay. That's how I'm reading it today. Ask me tomorrow. I'll probably. I might think else on the calling of the twelve or um, the family. I wouldn't be worried about insulting or um, uh, blaspheming the Holy Spirit. You think they had um, any idea what they were getting the fixation, into? Because that's for any of us. I would say, no. let's be open to the Spirit. Let's be open to that baptism of the Spirit. That's what if we, we did. We wouldn't do what God is doing, not how to upset what God is doing. If we're doing what I God think there's is doing, a reason God only really shows us one step at a Mother time. and sister and brothers. Um, let's look at the positive side of it. Really. No kidding. Because it's so easy to look on the get out of bed in the morning. And then we oh. become rigid again. Which I think is he's telling us to avoid. Well, Neil, you want to wrap up chapter three for us and call it a day? We'll do it. This is starting with verse 22. The legal experts came down from Jerusalem. Over and over they charged. He's possessed um, by Beelzebub. Hearing as we have this conversation and read it. Um, of the ruler of demons. There's this wonderful when Jesus sort of called presence them together, the Holy he spoke Spirit to them in a parable that permeates How all of these Satan passages. How can Satan throw um, Satan out? That I've never really involved in civil war will collapse. I'm seeing it in a new light. And a host um, torn apart. Um, a host torn apart by divisions will collapse. Um, 
if Satan rebels against himself and is divided, the Holy Spirit then he is can't endure. Enlivening for. these church practices no one gets in a way into the that house of a strong person and steals anything without to, first trying the, the strong person. Sort of only again can the house be burglarized. We're just drawn I assure to, you that um, human beings so will be forgiven because, for everything, um, for all sins and insults of and every it was enlivening kind. But whoever healing, insults the um, Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. What they were getting in that synagogues, I guess, was more with consequences that last legal forever. and condemning. He said this um, because the legal experts um, were saying he's possessed by an evil spirit. As His for mother and brothers insulting arrived. the Holy Spirit, they stood never outside being forgiven, and sent word to him, that. calling for him. A crowd That's was seated around him, and those sent to him said, Look, your mother, brothers, and God, sisters um, are outside looking for you. He replied, The only thing I come up my with, um, who are my brothers? I'm not sure it really explains it. Looking is, around um, at those seated around him, I think of the Holy Spirit as being. Look. Here are so my mother I and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my the brother. The Holy Spirit, I am rejecting, mother. in a sense, my very own being, my essential being. And without that, um, um, I reject myself. And so I condemn myself in a way that it's not that God rejects me, it's I have condemned myself in a way that I cannot get out of. Um, um, don't ask me to explain that again. <laughs> it's not God condemning us. We've condemned ourselves by not being open to the constant prompting of God to open ourselves to God's self. The only way we can get beyond God's forgiveness is by putting ourselves beyond it. God's forgiveness goes as far as to everything, but we can place ourselves outside of that if we choose to, because God made us able to choose. So rejecting the Holy Spirit means that we do just that. Um, it's not that God condemns us, it's we've condemned ourselves. Um, that's kind of where I go with it. God help us yep. from doing that. And I believe God constantly does <laughs> and drives us as far as God can. We're here because God has helped us, yes. Any last thoughts, Neil? Um. I think only in in this passage for me, it's just that uh, it feels like uh, a breath of of fresh air. Um, that that these words, um, it Jesus is bringing in an aliveness and and a, a fluidity and an openness. Um, that had not been present before um, in in Jewish scripture, and that that there's a flow and an energy um, that is 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 just wonderful. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
It certainly has come alive for me. Well, friends, this has been a great conversation. Neil, we appreciate you being with us as we get this thing kicked off. Thank you, Rock. Thank you so much, both of you. Thank you. And this is uh, the first week of Lent, so uh, we'll keep driving ourselves towards Jerusalem as uh, Lent goes further. And uh, uh, next week, we'll be uh, diving into chapters four, five, and six. Um, but uh, we sure do appreciate it. And I, I sure do appreciate both of you. This is always fun. Thank you, Rock, for putting this together. And I think it's a wonderful idea. And I look forward to next week. It's been terrific. Thank you. Thanks, Neil.